a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes. Dude. 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 Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Welcome, everyone, to another installment of the Legion of Dudes. My name is Ken Morgan, and I am joined again by the fellow members of the Legion of Dudes. Tonight, I have senior dude Jim Dietz, Marvel dude Johnny M., and ex-dude Russell Latham. Say hello, guys. Hi there. Hello, all. And a happy Father's Day to you, fathers. I was going to... Even though this will air Thursday, but hey. I was going to bring that up. Happy Father's Day to those who are, to those who may be, and to those who just haven't been told yet. (laughs) Uh, Tonight, we're going to be taking a look at Dark Horse series Star Wars Vector. This was an interesting project of theirs during the course of 2008. A crossover over all their books, and we're going to kind of go into detail of of Volume 1, which covers the first six issues. But before that, we have a few things to... uh, to go over. Uh, coming up, we're going to have episode 50, um, a landmark episode for the Legion of Dudes, and we have um, a special treat for you guys. This is the first time we're announcing it on the show. We have, uh, we're going to be doing a live recording where you can go to live.legionofdudes.com and you can uh, sign up for our stick'em feed where on Sunday, August 2nd, 2009, at 9 p.m. Eastern, you can do the math from there for your time. We are going to be recording live, and we're going to be welcoming your comments. We're going to be looking for uh, your voicemails, which, of course, you can send anytime to 516-468-7912. Or something new we're going to try, you can send us a video message. If you're on Facebook, or if you're not, you can join Facebook easily enough. We have a, uh, a Facebook group, Legion of Dudes, and you can go to our Episode 50 live recording event, where you can use your webcam to send us a video message that we will play on episode 50 so if you're in that room or if you're not can't make it you can still participate live live via tape and uh, might be in your your best interest to do so because you never know what sort of i don't know prizes or other giveaways might happen at episode 50 and we'll be releasing more details of that as the the next couple weeks go on so august 2nd 2009 9 p.m eastern live.legionofdudes.com yeah i think it's gonna be like an ask the dudes episode right Yes, right. You can ask, in fact, actually, in your message, ask us any question, or we may even ask a question of you. You can uh, ask me how much Alan Moore pays me to uh, pimp his books here on <laughs> Legion of Dudes, or how much Johnny M paid for that life-size RoboCop armor he wears around the house. <laughs> Does Russ right. make his kids you know, call him Professor X? <laughs> no. Uh, I've got more hair than he does. And last week, if you tuned in, you heard our uh, Green Lantern Rebirth. Next week, we're going to hit the Sinestro Core War, but we got a few messages back. Let's uh, let's hear a voicemail, okay, guys? Sounds good. Sounds good. Awesome. Hey, guys. This is Leroy, otherwise known as Ziggle from the Comic Forums from the Comic Tune Podcast. 
to start and leave a voicemail, um, I've, I've, I've been listening to the show since Watchmen, obviously. Um, but uh, this is the first voicemail I'll leave, and it's obviously going to be due to the Green Lantern rebirth discussion that you guys had. That was super awesome. Uh, I guess the reason why is because Green Lantern rebirth, and I, I know just like Ken, is very dear to me because Green Lantern Rebirth number one was what got me back into comics after a very long hiatus since I was in grade school. Uh, I think the last run of comics I read was the Spider-Man clone saga. Yeah, way to go. Uh, but, you know, Green Lantern Rebirth is just, I remember that is the one that I would go every month just to get Rebirth 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. And then after, after it ended, no, it was 6 actually, after it ended, I started getting Green Lantern, and then from there, I fully immersed myself with Infinite Crisis, and that's when I started getting too many books, and now I'm broke. But anyway, yeah, sorry. No bother, but um, you guys did a really awesome job. You guys actually pointed some stuff out for me that I didn't know, and um, I agree with what a bunch of you said, that yeah, it's very new reader-friendly, because I was catching everything. You know, the only green, the only thing I knew about Green Lantern was John Stewart from Justice League Unlimited from the cartoons, and I was like, oh, "All right, this is pretty cool." You know, I got to know that it's pretty much like a Marine Corps of outer space. That's the best way to explain it. Um, what else? Um, you know, it's really awesome. And also, same here. You know, I thought that what happened was when Hal shot Sinestro in the back. I thought that like when he shot him, his head went like kablamo, like super big. Until I started reading it again, and I'm like, oh, well, this is another dude. All right, cool. But yeah, um, anyway, I really can't wait for your Sinestro Corps and uh, War of Light reviews, as well as others coming up, of course. So keep up the awesome job, guys. All right, I'll see you guys around the forums. Bye. Cool deal. I, I, guess, right. he was, I guess he was referring to um, Hector Hammond looking a lot like Sinestro. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's what we were it, talking about for a while. You both have big heads. And so a mustache. So it's really interesting. I, I noticed a, a, yeah, a huge noggin. It's got its own weather system. Look at the size of that boy's head. <laughs> like an orange it's, on a toothpick. <laughs> Go cry you <laughs> on your giant pillow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good all day. It's interesting to me how many people came back to comics like during the whole Identity Crisis, Green Lantern Rebirth era. You know, seems like it brought a lot of people back into the hobby that had been out. You know, including Ziga. Yeah, and, and myself, as I've said. I think the timing is is right. You know, it's almost like a baby boomer thing. You know, it's like all of us, the kids of the '80s that gave it up when they got into girls and sports or having a job or whatever. You know, now maybe you're married, you have a couple of kids, and it's back to reading. Yeah, I think what part of it is is um, because that same group you're talking about. You know, they grew up on Super Friends, they grew up on Hal and Barry and everything else. And now John's, who also grew up in that age, I'm sure he's bringing all that back to us. So, you know, while some who grew up with the, the Wally Kyles are a little upset about it, we're loving it. And, you know, we can't get enough of it. Right. Plus, in the 90s, it was all about, like, tearing those characters down, like mm-hmm. what they did with uh, with Hal and everything. And what John's is really doing is, you know, totally building them back up. And I think that's, you know, really speaks to a lot of people who are probably disillusioned by a lot of, the, you know, big event you know, issues that happened in the 90s. Right. Before we move on, I was just thinking, I was at Wizard World Philly this weekend, and we had talked during our Comic Talk episode a little bit about Wednesday comics and what that's going to be like. 
uh, Dan DiDio, during the DC Nation panel I sat down, he brought out, he had a proof copy of Wednesday Comics, and it's exactly what we said. It's about newspaper size, like the Sunday Comics, but but on Wednesday, and it, it looks really sharp. Uh, so if you um, head over to uh, my other show, uh, com. You can see some pictures from Wizard World, and some of them are pictures of the of the presentation of Wednesday Comics. So, uh, you know, not to pimp my own show, but it does come out every Tuesday at tooltogrow.com. But you can go there and find uh, some pics uh, of Wednesday Comics and some more fun stuff from Wizard World Philly 2009. Hey, when does Wednesday Comics actually begin? I don't know. Early July, I think. First, I think first week in July. That first so July first. Oh gosh, July first. Along with that, we're gonna have July first. We're gonna have that coming out there. We're gonna have Captain America Reborn, and we're gonna have a book that kind of spurred us on to do this show today. We're gonna have Star Wars Invasion, which is gonna be a, a brand new small mini series uh, based in the Star Wars universe. That's going to be set during the time of the New Jedi Order and at the initial stages of what's called the Yuuzhan Vong War, which was this huge 19-book series that really shaped the expanded universe as we know it today. Themes from that series played into the one comic series called uh, uh, Legacy and some other books. So, uh, you know, one of the things we thought was, hey, new Star Wars book coming out on Wednesday. Let's put out our Star Wars Vector series today, the Thursday right before. So if you guys uh, don't mind, let's just talk a little bit about what, what our experience with Star Wars has been. Um, let's just go around the table, so to speak. Anybody want to go first? I'll go first. I say, don't make me call somebody. <laughs> don't call on me. <laughs> the first comic, it's kind of funny, going way back when, the first comic I ever got was a Star Wars comic. Back when, like right at or right before the first movie came out, my mom actually got me a Marvel subscription to the Star Wars Monthly. So starting with number, I think, eight, and then through you know the next twelve issues, um, I had all those the, that initial run of Star Wars, um, and that's kind of what really got me into comics was was that run. Um, and then over the years, I was able to to get probably another thirty or forty issues of that Marvel Star Wars run. So when Dark Horse restarted the lineup, I guess early ninety ninety one eighty nine somewhere around that with with Dark Empire, it really got me jazzed up, and I, I ended up getting it. A, Getting Dark Empire a few years later because the issues went up way high during that whole craze of the of the early '90s. But I started with uh, Tales of the Jedi, so I got all the Tales of the Jedi books, and then I started getting. I pretty much grabbed anything Dark Horse put out with Star Wars, and then when they started the Star Wars Monthly or episode before Episode One, I grabbed up it, and then pretty much I've I've been hooked. So um, I always. If you've listened to the show more than once, you you know my affinity for the X-Men and the X-Books. Nearest and dearest and second in my collection is all the Star Wars books. I've probably got about three long boxes full of nothing but Star Wars books. So I've got I've got a good bit of it. Love, love it all. I will go. I'm a very big fan of the movies. An extreme Star Wars movie fan, almost. And I don't hate the prequels. And, but I, I have a very hard time getting into any expanded universe Star Wars stuff. Can't do it. Can't. It's just not right to me. <laughs> Something's not right about it, you know, and, and I have trouble like, retaining who everybody is and what their role is in the timeline, and i just rather watch the movies. And that's, you know, that's where I'm at. So I'm glad we're doing this because I got to, I was forced to sit down and, and take in, you know, an expanded universe series, I guess you could call it. And uh, so I'm looking forward to talking about it, but very little, you know, I'll go back and watch the movies anytime, but I have not, um, I tried the novels, I tried like the Thrawn trilogy stuff by um, Timothy Zahn, 
at one point, and I like thought it was okay, but I like stopped in the middle and never finished the book, and it really had no desire to go back, and and that's it. I was 10 years old when A New Hope came out, and I literally that summer would go at 11 o'clock in the morning and sit in the movie theater and watch it all day long until about 7 or 8 o'clock at night when I'd go home and eat dinner all summer long. It was like nothing else I'd ever seen. blew my mind. I didn't realize movies could be like that because nobody had ever seen anything like that. And, uh, of course, you know, I love the, the original trilogy. Prequels, there are parts of them that I like, but then there are parts of them I just totally despise. I've read some of the Expanded Universe stuff. I read uh, Shadows of the Empire, which is the book that takes place between Empire Strikes Back and uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, I'd gotten some of the toys and ended up reading the uh, book because of the toys. And uh, I've played some of the video games. I've played uh, Knights of the Old Republic, which ties into the first part of Vector that we're going over tonight. And uh, I've... I've always been a huge Star Wars fan, but like John, I've, I've always been a fan of you know the original three movies. And I've kind of dabbled here and there in Expanded Universe, but I don't really know the entire history, timeline, what have you, before or after, and you know, what happens in the movies. So, My, my experience with uh, Star Wars is very similar to most of you. I mean, I was, I was six years old the first time I saw Star Wars. I saw it in the drive-in. Uh, my parents took me, and I you know, loved every second of it, you know, saw it. You know, all three of them in the theater. Got out of it for a little while. I mean, I went through my whole phase with the toys. You know, in the winter, we'd build big snow forts and recreate Hoth scenes. And then in the spring, when the snow melted, we'd go out into the woods and recreate the battles on Endor and everything. We did, did all that growing up. But I got out of it for a little while. In fact, I did not even see, like, the, the, the re-releases, the special editions in the theaters when, when they were out in the 90s. Didn't see them then. But I did see the, pre- the prequels. And, you know, I like them, warts and all. I appreciate and can see and understand the flaws people find in them. But to me... You know what? They're, they're, the plot is there. The story points are part of the continuity. It, it's 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 real. It's what it, it's real as a fake thing can be, but it's it's what part of what it is. And for the longest time, I was kind of like John, where I had wanted no part of the expanded universe. To me, those six movies were Star Wars. You know, the Star Wars story itself, the overall arc um, across the six movies, it was the rise, the fall, and the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. I didn't need anything else. Anything else took away from that. And then it was, um, I like late, you know, 2007 or so I found, um, I guess it was, I think Del Rey does the, 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 the novels and they had released the audiobook for the first book of the legacy of the four series, uh, which was a nine part series. They had just recently wrapped up and they released it for free online. You could download it legitimately and listen to it. So I, I did, and I really dug, it. I really got into it and I proceeded to seek out the rest of those books and listen to those and got hooked on it. In fact, our friend Brad over at Half Hour Wasted, he he thought I was nuts for even trying to jump into that part of the timeline without reading all the backstory that went with it. And he was right. So here it is about, you know, a little more than a year and a half later, I have, through audiobooks, listened to all of the New Jedi Order, the Jedi Academy that came before it, Legacy of the Force. I'm working through, through Fate of the Jedi, which just started. Of all the current comic series that Dark Horse is putting out, I have all the trades from Empire, Knights, Dark Times, Rebellion, and Legacy. I own them all. I've read them all. And I am so enamored with the, uh, the expanded universe in such a way that I never thought I could be. Um, it's just so rich and, and detailed and feels so alive to me that I can, I've come to understand and care for and follow all these characters that are, have been introduced just in, the, in these books, different book series. 
Um, the one thing I really appreciate and love about the Expanded Universe, and I go on to this at length on Too Old to Grow Up, one of our episodes, um, I think, yeah, 58 it was, we did uh, Star Wars on the Expanded Universe. Everything counts in the Expanded Universe. The books, the video games, the comics, you know, everything that's been published and sanctioned by LucasArts counts in the overall continuity. I mean, yes, there's rules. If something like the movies deliberately contradicts something that's in the Expanded Universe, the, then the movies went out every time. You know, but these things live on. So when you have Knights of the Old Republic, the video game, and then a couple of years later they release a comic called Knights of the Old Republic, it is based on that on that what started in that game and move on from there. That's what I love about the expanded universe is you know, you can say what you want about Lucas being, you know, kind of hard about keeping a tight grip on things and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But I think Lucas is an entity as far as the expanded universe, kind of keeping that grasp on it has has helped keep it clean. Whereas we've seen like in Star Trek where there's 50,000 books and there's contradictions and nobody can keep anything straight in Star Wars. That's just not true. And, you know, from, you know, starting from the first book that they released post Jedi, which was heir to the empire at a time when Star Wars was really dead. I mean, that's really what kind of got the interest back up because that was 91, I think. And we hadn't, seen anything from star wars in a few years and i remember going in the mall and seeing that book on the shelf and i was it just i i just ran to it and it, it took took me totally by surprise and i i just i bought it and read it and just devoured it and I loved it and then i had I, I couldn't believe i had to wait a whole year for the next book to come out and then when the next one was coming out i reread the first one and read the second one and then did the same thing with the third one with the zon books and then from that point out pretty much every book that came out i was i was there and bought it and I, I followed that along to the New Jedi Order, and I got about three books, four books into that set, and then life stuff happened, and I kind of, kind of wandered away from it. But I've started to kind of go through the audio books and catch myself up and, and move forward with it to, to get beyond it. But definitely just good stuff. Anybody uh, have anything else you want to jump in before we jump into these books? Did Greedo shoot first? No, he did not. I don't care. I will take. I have no problem taking issues where I where I need to, but. Han shot first. It's definitely part of his character. You know, it's right. sick. I, I own Star Wars at least three times right now. I have the original trilogy. I've got the original VHS in widescreen. I've got, you know, untouched original edition. Um, I've got the special edition where they, you know, change some stuff. And I, I really like a lot of the changes they made. I was really excited when I heard they were doing them as far as, uh, you know, updating the effects and that. But some of the plot points they've changed, I was like, eh, I don't know. And then the DVDs, of course, I own. And then if the eventual Blu-ray release, I will, of course, buy that as well because I'm just a sucker. That's going to be a beast. I can't even imagine what they're going to hmm. do for Blu-ray. You know what? You know how you guys are all about, like, that, that Terminator set? And I'm like, you know, you're like, yeah, I can pass. You know what? I'll just what, – what are you putting out? Okay, fine. Here's a check. You know, just whatever. I'll take it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a yep. lame. Um, all right, so – Star Wars Vector was a an interesting project. I mean, this was out. It was published and released in 2008. They were planning on it for some time before that. This is a, you know, Dark Horse didn't really do any kind of crossovers in their in their books, uh, at least not to this degree for Star Wars. This is during you know you've had Final Crisis or, or Infinite Crisis had come before. You've had uh, whatever Civil War and Marvel had been doing. So they figured you know you know ah, we really can't do it with Star Wars. We're through all different things. And they're like, well. Why can't we do this with Star Wars? So through Vector, and we're, I will get into the details as we talk about the books, but they came up with a storyline to run through. They had four titles concurrently running through four different time periods. And they came up with a story that logically flowed from one book to the next 
it did not interrupt the ongoing story in those books to me in any way at all. In fact, it added to each individual storyline and in the case of Legacy had major lasting repercussions. If, if any book was, was ma- majorly affected by Vector, it was, it was Legacy to a lesser degree in Knights of the Republic as well. But the other two, well, the other two books, Dark Times and Rebellion, happened right in the middle of, uh, of all of our movies. So there's only so much you can do there because y- you know how they end eventually. Um, so starting off, the first four volumes of this set comes in Knights of the Old Republic. Now, we are going to spoil Vector, of course, and we're not going to go out of our way to spoil the, any of the other events around these books, but things may come up that we just can't dance around. So understand there may be spoilers for some of the other Star Wars books. Um, but Knights of the Old Republic is set in the distant past um, of the Star Wars universe. It's the, of the Old Republic. It's, it's 4,000 years before the events of Star Wars Episode Four. Which is to say there's, there's you know, lots of Jedi. It's the height of the, the Jedi Order. The Mandalorian Wars, which is the, the, not race, but the group, the organization that, that Boba Fett would, would eventually come from and Jango Fett. Uh, the Mandalorian Wars are, are basically in full effect at this point. There are some Jedi who feel they need to be a part of the war, some that feel they don't. Knights um, of the Republic era I mentioned earlier sprang out of the video game called the same name, Knights of the Old Republic, where you played as a, as a character that you really built yourself, you know, trained to be a Jedi and go through, through there. The comic is set, they don't think they really say explicitly, but I'm going to say it's about 10, 15 years before the events of the video game. You don't play, or the, the main character is not a character from the video game. However, many of the, of the characters from the game are appearing in the comic right now. No, I'm just gonna. I was gonna agree with you. That sounds like about right because in the game, uh, Taras, the 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 place where the Ratgulls are, has already been as uh, is, isn't under Mandalorian control at all. In fact, there are people there that are veterans of the Mandalorian Wars uh, in the game. Mm-hmm. So I think so. Uh, Ten or fifteen years sounds about right. Right. In fact, the, the the comic series with issue one starts off in Taras, and just to give you a brief description of how we got to where Vector starts. The, the main character of the book is a Jedi Padawan uh, called Zane Carrick, who is, uh, he's been training on Terrace with a group of masters, who these masters in the first issue, because of the vision they saw, they had kill all of their Padawans. And Zane, who was late to their knighting ceremony, where this happened, uh, escapes. And so the masters um, frame him. And this whole, really the whole first four volumes of the traits has been dedicated to Zane trying to clear his name. And he finally got off World of Terrace and had some other adventures um, with some Mandalorians. He hooked up with Mandalorians. He hooked up with Republic, the Republic forces. He hooked up with other Jedi. And in true Star Wars fashion, it's this ragtag group in a in a beat up old freighter. You know this complete mix. You have a you know a Jedi, a smuggler, um, an outcast, a droid, all on this freighter, which is basically what happened in game with a, a different group of Motley, little Motley crew and happened in episode four with the little Motley crew that got shown, you know, thrown together on the millennium Falcon by chance. Um, yeah, so if you have a good formula, don't mess with it. That, that's exact, exactly it. Um, I think that's one of the cool things about the comic that gives, that gives it that star Wars feel too, is that kind of like, you know, ragtag band of people against an impossible force, you know, I mean, the, that feeling, you know, pervades this book and makes it feel very Star Wars. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Russ, were you saying something? I was just saying, as long as Tommy Lee doesn't show up, we're all in good shape. <laughs> very nice. So throughout his adventures, um, there, there's a great, a great subplot, substory line where 
that involves, to a degree, the space slugs that uh, almost swallowed the Millennium Falcon in uh, The Empire Strikes Back. So it's kind of fun to see them in, in, in one story arc. But, but Zane's quest to clear his name eventually brings him back to Terrace. Um, and after he completes what his task was there is where Vector is now going to pick us up. Uh, in fact, they traded this a little uniquely. Because it crosses four different books, Vector Volume 1, the individual trade vector called Vector Volume 1, is also considered Volume 5 of Knights of the Old Republic and Volume 3 of Dark Times. We pick up with Knights of the Old Republic uh, Volume 5 on Terrace. Well, this first few pages is uh, the vision, right? The person is uh, having of uh, what, what is to pass or what is you know coming in the future. Exactly. You, there, continue. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, we, see, we, see, we see this uh, giant battle going on with uh, rat ghouls, who are these mo- or monsters that were also in Terrace in the uh, Knights of the Old Republic uh, video game. In fact, one of the quests you go on is to find a cure for the rat ghoul virus because uh, one bite from these things will turn you into a rat ghoul and and we see this giant uh, battle going on. And then we see uh, elevated above the battle is a uh, scarred man with a beard with a strange scorpion scarab kind of uh, talisman attached to him. And uh, in his wake is a lot of destruction. Yeah, and, and as they um, observe this, the one of the seers having this vision is questioning, you know, is this, is this happening now or in the future? And then out of nowhere apparently comes, comes, our, comes Zane, the, the main character, and he says, it's happening now, and they're all shocked. But then as you turn the page, it's you find Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, and Cade Skywalker, who is the, the hero of, of Legacy. And they're all saying, and now, and now, and now too. <laughs> Makes it more difficult, don't it? And meanwhile, you have these four characters out of time for each other you know, in this vision. Um, so immediately you're getting set up that you know, this, this storyline is going to be you know, taking place, like we said, across across many different time periods. Do the Star Wars comic books keep the language type to a more, like, modern style? I don't know. I, I noticed in this book a couple of times, starting with that line that you just said, makes it more difficult, don't it? You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like a modern slang that didn't, it felt a little bit out of place to me. To me. Mm-hmm. And Is that I, something they try to do, like stay away from? And I understand them staying away from, I don't know, like, you know, in Thor, who wants to hear thou and this and thee the whole time. So, so I understand them trying to stay away from that. I just wondered if that was something. Or is he that, what's the word I'm looking for? Is he like that scoundrel character that they just want to? It, it, exactly. That's more to his character. Yeah. That's more okay. to his character. Just to give you a quick uh, thing on Cade, and we'll talk about him when, in our next, whenever we get to volume two. Imagine if Han Solo was a Jedi. You got Cade. Gotcha. And, and he, he is yeah. a descendant of Luke. Okay. So that's, that's his language. Yes. Take. All right. Okay. I got you. It's also interesting. I'll just throw one more thing in. Um, that you guys said that the Rat Ghouls are from the, originally from the video game. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I, I, I didn't like their, um, let's call it vampire quality. It, it felt very un-Star Wars that when they bit somebody that that person turned into, turned into one. Something about it didn't ring true for me, so it was one of the things I was going to say that I didn't really like about the book, but now knowing that it's actually, you know, if you want to call it in continuity, that they're bringing this in from the video game, mm-hmm. that's interesting to me. It's actually interesting yeah. that they even brought it in and put it into this context, as, as we'll learn more about, the, about what the Rackle Plague is, knowing, because it was always just there these mindless uh, creatures who were, who were basically humans who were, who were infected by this virus. 
and we're now learning that it's um, basically Sith magic. The the Sith magic, you know, will create the initial ones, and the holder of the scarab, as we'll learn, can control them. But you take that control away, there's mindless mindless beasts. It is cool how you know if you're just a fan of the main movies like myself, you know, you never saw any of the Sith magic, so to speak. Like there's a lot of different. You know, it's almost like a sorcery, I get the sense of, that the Sith did that's way different from, like, what we saw in the movies, which is thousands of years later when the Sith are all gone. That's one of the great things I like about the Expanded Universe in general is because they explore the Sith um, a lot more, not only in Knights of the Republic, but the current books and the the other stuff as well. Uh, George Lucas doesn't really, not to say he doesn't care for it, because he said, you know, okay, do what you want, you know, but to me, the, the the movies are it. He really believed that at the end of episode six, when when um, the Emperor was killed and Vader returned to the light side, and he eventually died, the Sith at that point were done. They were the end of the Sith, done, over, gone. But as the Expanded Universe is teaching us, that's, that's not the case, but it's not the way Lucas would have had it had he had choice, or had he not decided to let people loose on his, in his little toy box. Yeah, and the, the other thing they're keeping with, as far as continuity goes, several years ago, I guess at this point, probably 10 or so years ago, um, they put out a series of comics called Tales of the Jedi, and that was really Dark Horse's first foray after Dark Empire back into the comic um, market. And again, it took place like, you know, several thousand years um, prior to the episode four. And then they went back even further from that, and they did a couple series, and one of them was Tales of the Jedi, the Golden Age of the Sith, and then Tales of the Jedi, the Fall of the Sith Empire, and it was like this whole, it was like a two-six issue uh, series, and it talks about, and we'll as we get in more into the issue, there's, there's one character in particular that they mentioned, two characters in particular they mentioned that are from that series several years prior, but when they talk about the Sith in those books, they talk about the origins of the Sith and how they came about, and again, they're very concerned with magics and artifacts and trinkets and things like that to wield power and to learn secrets and, and unlock all this stuff. So this book here kind of carries forward that which they've set up prior to in, the, in those other series. And that's what this next page is all about. We're finding that these, this, uh, this group of uh, five masters, or four now because one has been, has been killed recently, they have been collecting Sith artifacts. And, and the next one they're after now is this, um, they're calling the Muir Talisman. Uh, which is that scarab, you know, scorpion-looking scarab that we saw in the in the in the vision, and they believe they know where it is. They're connecting the Rackle Plague to it, and they believe it's in the undercity of Terrace. Now, Terrace, to give you an idea, is you, you've seen Coruscant in the prequel movies. It's a planet that's one big city. Terrace is very similar in that, and and so it's it's this, you know, practically the whole planet is is one big city, uh, and it has different tiers. And uh, the undercity is basically what the ground level is. And that's where the, where these beasts are have been rele, uh, relegated to. And the two characters we see here on this on this third page, where the vision snaps back into into the current time, are two of the characters we mentioned that were part of this slaying of the Padawans at, at the at the very start of the of the Kotor book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll call it. We'll we'll use the term Kotor to 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 be the shortcut for Knights of the Old Public. So right. if you hear Kotor, that, that's what we're talking about. I kind of remind you guys of the Marvel Illuminati trying to get the uh, Infinity Gauntlet together. I mean, collecting mm-hmm. artifacts of vast power so no one else can wield them. Right. I don't right. know, group within a group. Right. So as we move on, they decide that they need to go after this, but of course they're not going to expose themselves, so 
they have a series of shadow agents, which are basically Jedi, but they, they live on, under the radar. They're not really under the, the, or, the control of the Jedi Order. They don't act like Jedi. They don't dress like Jedi. They don't really put themselves out there. So they send one of their, their agents to Terrace. Now, they really don't expect to find Zane there. He's not really part of this, although they've seen him in this vision. But they want, they're sending her out there to, uh, to collect the, uh, the talisman. We go to the Terrace Undercity, and we're going to find Zane running for his life from Rackles. Here comes this, uh, this woman wielding a lightsaber to save the day. Saves uh, Zane's, Zane's hide. It's not Zane, yeah, that looks like Zane. That's not Zane. That's a constant constable who, who that particular right. one is. I just wanted to say that one thing that I really do enjoy is the fact that a Jedi can be anyone. You know what I mean? Like, it can be a young woman. It can be uh, Yoda. It can be all these different alien races. It's just one thing I always enjoy. So, I, like, I, I enjoyed flipping this page and, and seeing her wielding the lightsabers down and killing all the rat ghouls and stuff. That's just a cool, you know, it's almost like, um, I don't know, it has a quality of, like, you just never know who's a, who's a Jedi or they come in all different forms and everything. It's mm-hmm. just one, it's one thing that I've really enjoyed since the prequels and the Clone Wars and everything kicked in. You know, the original three movies, there aren't many Jedi. Most of them are old or dying or in full body armor. Right. You know, but now we're getting a look at like all these Jedi in their prime, which I always thought was very cool. Yeah, that was nice about the, yeah, the prequels. Yeah. And even in the expanded universe, I mean, there, there are at least two Wookiee Jedis, if you can nice. imagine that. Sweet. And the other thing I wanted to say is I, I guess this group of Jedi is kind of like the equivalent to like the Outsiders or X Force or whatever, like the covert team that can do the dirty work without, you know, having to follow code. Like meaning, that type meaning of deal. the shadow agents? Yeah, yeah, I would say that's accurate. Yeah, yeah, they're com- yeah totally off the grid. Yeah, they're all, not only off the grid, but they're not even known to the the Jedi Order proper. They're really to this little splinter group who is also themselves uh, operating in secret, double secret. Yes, double secret probation. I was that's waiting correct. for that. Thank you. <laughs> double secret so, probation Jedi. So we see when we the, see uh, we but, see uh, her. In, I'm, I was just gonna say when we see her in action, this uh, this. A uh, few pages here with the constable. It shows us how infectious the whole Rackle uh, situation is and how dangerous it can be because she has to strike the constable down within a matter of minutes of being infected. But she, uh, she knows her moral. She will not wait until she changes. And that's the way you have to do things. I mean, I've been preaching this to zombie movies and such forever. You know, you have to kill them immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you cannot try to you know, reverse it or hold on. It's not the one person you love anymore. It's she's if, gone. You, if you have, if you have red on you, you got to go. That's right. Yeah. That's it. And then big explosion. Here comes uh, Zane now chasing this little uh, troll looking dude called Griff. That's, that's uh, some, one of the members of the Motley crew. I, uh, I mentioned earlier who Zane met up with early on. So uh, this guy's a, a thief and a smuggler, but he calls uh, Zane, his henchman. So they uh, he runs in and being chased by their rackles and uh, go right into the uh, you know the arms of our uh, Jedi heroine. I would say this is pretty typical of of their adventures where they're constantly like falling literally into trouble or stumbling their way through through things. Um, that's how really the book started with the two of them meeting up again. So it, this is this is like more of the same. I got a real comic relief Jar Jar feel out of Griff. Uh, yeah, um, he's not as annoying as Jar Jar, though. Okay, no, no one is annoying as Jar Jar, but um, it kind of it kind of <laughs> took me out a little bit. Maybe you know he might be a better character 
in past books, and then they're just kind of showing his comedic side maybe in this. But for my first exposure to him, I was like, oh, no, here we go. You know, goofy sidekick. He's only going to be concerned with, like, stealing and money while, like, they're doing their cause for the greater good and everything. I don't know. It just kind of – I was like, whatever. But, again, I, I never met him before, so, you know, <laughs> that was just how it rubbed off on me. Kind of reminds me of Gnort, the Green Lantern. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, there's a ton of characters like that. You know, they're, um, of course, I'll come up with none right now. But even in, like, adventure movies and stuff, there'll be the guy that's tagging along that, you know, in the end, he ends up having the big heart and comes through. But the whole time, he's kind of, like, more concerned with his own uh, motives. Yeah, he, and he, throughout the book so far, he's kind of run hot and cold on that. There's, you know, there's times where he's truly used for comedic relief, and then there's times where he kind of straightens up. So it kinda, it, it, it's kind of, he's not a one-note in that respect, which helps keep it a little balanced because, yeah, that would get old real quick. But for the most part, he's kind of a goofy guy, and he's, and he's definitely out for himself for the most part. Well, after they fall down a few holes together, uh, Zane wakes up only to have his mouth covered and uh, pretty much be in the midst of a large force of Mandalorians who have found the, uh, the artifact that uh, was referenced earlier in the, the Scorpion Scarab artifact. Yep. And the invasion of Taurus by the Mandalorians was the, and Zane and Griff kind of being a part of that underground to try and work against the Mandalorians was the arc immediately previous to this book. Right. So this is like immediately after the, the invasion and the, and, the, and the war going on. What's your guys' feeling on the art? I, I wasn't crazy about it when I first read it. You know, when I was, re- I was reading this in, in issues, so I hadn't seen the later issues that would come from the other series yet. So when I'm looking at Celeste, our Jedi in particular, you know, some scenes she looks like this very, you know, could be a very beautiful human woman. That's something that's close up. Her, like her jawline is all messed up. She's this very odd perspective that I'm, I was questioning whether or not she was actually a human character or some hum, more humanoid alien, um, just because of simply the way she was she was drawn. Um, as, she, as we'll find her in later issues, um, she's actually a very beautiful human female. In fact, when you read the description of how the writers wanted her in in the trade, you know they're really looking for this this. Um, beautiful but powerful looking woman with this sleeping beauty like quality because as we'll find at the end of the, the the KOTOR series, you know, that's basically what happens to her. Yeah, there's there's definitely like a almost a caricature quality to his art. Like he, he's really ex- accentuating, you know, when she's angry or when she has like a pouting face on. Like he really seems to like overdo the Expressions, yeah, and this is this is not to oh. insult someone without saying their name. This was Scott Hepburn, so I'm just not sorry, Scott. Not in this case, at least. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, that's one thing about this book in general. The, the other books have been fairly solid on art as far as a consistent creative team. Dark Times Wheatley's a little slow, or so it would seem. Who's the the regular artist on Dark Times? Following from Republic, so I guess it's it's uh, Dave Ross that fills in for him, but. Um, one of the things with the, with the KOTOR book that's been inconsistent has been the art. John Jackson Miller has written every issue, um, and so the writing has been very consistent and very solid. But the one thing that takes me out of this book from time to time is the art. It, it's just, you know, each arc or each, you know, every so often, every few issues, it seems to change. In, in the next um, trade where Zane's uh, plight or this, this part of Zane's story comes to an end where he does finally clear his name, there is uh, one issue that is nothing more than really exposition where the main, the big bad guy kind of explains the whole background, what happened. 
That one I think might have also been done by Scott, and it has the same style. There it worked for me mainly because it was basically nothing but a flashback issue, so it kind of worked for me in that way. But here it just it just it threw me off, even reading it to the point where I almost figured thought I would stop reading it in issues. But I'm I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I stuck with it. Yeah. So that is that takes us to the end of part one with the crew after they discover the Mandalorians and they have the the artifact is them jetting off literally to take after them and we get the uh, it's we get that funny line that you know again we get this kind of breaking the fourth wall thing going on with this book where you know Zane says you heard what she said you want to live forever and then Griff says forget forever just get me to next month and that's the last quote of the issue one so it's just kind of a funny little you know, nod to breaking the fourth wall there. So now we're going to head off to a planet called Jebel. It's an ice world controlled by the man and the forces, as said by our nice little exposition box. Thank you. And they need a place to to land, but they need to keep the pads clear for Cassius Fett for when his troop transport arrive, who he is the current, uh, he's, he, is he the current Mandalore? Is that, or is he just a general? Do you remember, Russ? I can't remember, I can't remember if he ends up, he ends up becoming Mandalore. And I can't remember if at this point he's become it or he does later. It's been so you know I've I've read the all the issues issue by issue since then, and it's been a while since I read this, so I can't recall right. exactly the, where they are in that timeline with him. For those who don't know, Mandalore is the leader of the Mandalorian forces, and I can't I, I dare not call them a race because they're not necessarily all one species. Even anybody can be a Mandalorian; they're more of a nomadic warrior race. But it's it's it's, it's, an, it's an interesting point to say that Cassius Fett in this case because Boba Fett. In the current Expanding Universe books, he is the current Mandalore of the Mandalorian forces, which is just an interesting tie into the... When I say current, I mean the current books that are released, but the, the future, we'll say, in, the, in this time. Boba Fett. Yeah. Boba Fett, Boba where? Fett. Where? I thought you were blind. <laughs> it's funny, the, uh, the toy line actually came out, they have those, what are they called? Not legacy, but uh, generations or evolutions. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's evolutions. Yeah. And there's three in there, and the, the one for Boba Fett has Cassius Fett, and then it has it has Django and then Boba. So nice. that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know if Django Fett ever held the title of Mandalore or not, but Boba Fett certainly does. And he got it because yeah. he killed the previous Mandalore. Nice. And so, Cassius has shown up pre- previously in this book, so he's he's definitely yes. not a new character. No, no, he's not. And now the the leader of these forces, who seems a little a little crazy because he's all about this this scarab. He's he's not a soldier per se. He is a scientist, so therefore he is held with with less regard despite the fact that he, he commands this vessel by the other Mandalorians. Uh, he's, he's not a warrior by, by, by note. Uh, one thing I want to point out in this, looks like this uh, third page, where he's talking about uh, the Jedi Master's financial records, and you hear, through the great financial records, that's, of course, Griff listening in. That's not a throwaway line, and, or jumping just to point out that Griff's all about money. That's going to play out in the next start that's going to follow up in KOTOR after Vector is over in this timeline. Um, that's actually yeah. going to be relevant. So we're um, this is just I want to point that out that that doesn't that seemed out of place at first, but as I read more from before and after, it's an important little detail, and it goes to what I was saying on how these these tied into this overall continuity and they fit to what's coming up next. That's interesting because that definitely played into my last comment of you know how I felt about Griff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's good to know that that actually uh, means something plot wise. So the talisman is going to try and take control of this uh, Mandalorian who I'm, I'm forgetting his name and I'm skimming here trying to find it. Paul Pulsifer, I think. Pulsifer? Yes. Yes. Pulsifer. Pulsifer. Pulsifer, yeah. 
He uh, the the scarab tries to take control of him. Basically, you know, electrifies him through his armor or what have you, and it and it really puts him and it puts him down quickly. Griff and and Zane are caught trying to escape, trying to get to the those financial records to get them. When they're captured by a Mandalorian who just mistakes them to think that they're part of the new recruits. I mentioned that Mandalorians can be anyone. Well, this is one of their conscription methods. They basically kidnap people and and, and draft them into the to fighting for Mandalor- Mandalore. One of the things, just to back up uh, just a hair and and comment a little bit in in the at the beat, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but I was just kind of going back through my notes here. One of the things in the beginning of the towards the beginning of the first issue, they mentioned the the talisman being property or owning from Negasado. And he he was one of the original Sith Lords from way back in that series I was mentioning earlier, the, the Golden Age and the fall of the Sith Empire, where he was the one that actually was, you know left Republic space to go find his own way. And they actually started the whole Sith. Uh, the, he, was, he was one of the one of the Sith that fought for control over another Sith, and they ended up fighting a huge war with the Republic at that time. Um, and then he was the one that ended up with banished himself or was banished to Yavin 4, Sith that was banished to Yavin 4, and then started and then basically took over the inhabitants of that planet, which that piece of it plays out, because Kevin J. Anderson wrote that series, which plays out into the whole Jedi Academy series, and, you know, the whole concept when they talk about Yavin 4 of having, um, you know, areas of it that, that are, you know, the, the Masasi temples that we saw mm-hmm. in Episode 4 and all that other stuff. So, so that, you know, that... Mentioned at the beginning wasn't again wasn't really a throwaway that links back you know again to tie into previous comics to tie into the movies and to tie into the books. Sorry, didn't mean to. No, that great background. Thank you. We find out that the Mandalorians are arming up so they can take over Alderaan, you know, which of course we know Alderaan very well. Found its end in Episode Four, and uh, Zane as uh, sneaks away as he sees Celeste trying to break in, into the compound. He he goes after her. She pins him down like, "Stop following me." And uh, he tells her the plan to raid Alderaan. It's defenseless. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we know this. Just as a gun gets drawn on him, and you find it's Griff, who just got his new Mandalorian armor. So he uses his uh, armor to try to take them in as prisoners. Eventually gets into the facility. And then, of course, we start to see where the Rakul plague, as it were, is starting to take effect. At this point, the talisman is... It has been dormant for some time, and it's... As we're going to be learning the next couple of pages... It is sensitive to the Force, so now there's a Jedi nearby, so it's starting to uh, to reactivate, and that's why we're seeing all these, we're starting to see Rackles pop up suddenly, because uh, it's it's basically kicking into high gear here, but without being bonded to a Force-sensitive use, their, their minds at this point have no way of controlling themselves, or being controlled, I should say. The one change in, uh, that we see here, and they remark on it in the book, is that the Rackles now are using guns and uh, showing skills. And then, uh, you know, everything they know about the Rat Girls up to that point, uh, they were just mindless, you know, killing machines. Right, and up to that point, yep. they were just beasts that were created from the cuts and bites of other beasts. But here they are being created by the Force uh, of, of, of all things. So apart from being controlled and having a, having a direction, it's just a different... But the trans- transformation itself is a little different. So they still... I'm not going to say they're retaining their skills, they per se. They retain their skills. Yeah. yeah. They'll make in the in I think it's the last book in this in this series that Celeste actually says that no they can't be reverted back but they retain their skill so 
they they specifically mentioned that that they were the the bit about retaining their skills. And the very last page of this book, I, I really uh, see what you mean about the art. I mean, her face is just way out of. I mean, it's very kind of distorted. Yeah. Do you, do you see what I mean? In the top right corner there. Yep. Just yeah. of, like like her jaw seems to like jut out almost a half a foot from her. Uh, rest her absolutely, face. it's very. It was very uh, disorienting. I just did not. Just didn't like it all. Didn't really follow it. The whole deal. Yeah, there's a bunch of examples in this book, especially, and it's mostly with her face, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely. Um, and and Zane, a little inconsistency with some of the other faces too. Yeah. But well, Zane, the, Zane's own yeah. jaw having this very very pointed pointed jaw, which is unlike any other artist has drawn him. Right. Yeah. The very long face. There, there's this scene. This is 57 in my trade. I'm not sure where it falls in in, in the books where. They've escaped to the outside. They've escaped from the Rackles. They're trying to. They're basically comparing notes at this point, and without prompting, you know, uh, Celeste refers to the Covenant. They they're, they're, think they're doing what's right for everyone, and then Zane's like, "Wait a minute, how did you know it was called the Covenant?" Like the classic, "I never told you his name." Uh, yeah. So now Zane's cluing in that she she works for the people who are hunting him. Not and she because earlier she wanted to turn him in, but everybody knows who Zane is, and you know, so everybody's trying to go for his head. Now she he's learning that. No, no, she doesn't work for the Jedi Order. He, she's working for these guys. And as they escape from the facility, they're trying to compare notes. They, they run out to a ledge and look out over the entire Mandalorian force uh, assembling below them. Uh, looking over at the, at, the, at the Mandalorian forces, they're realizing now that they're not just going to invade Alderaan, they're going to infect. And if they, of course, infect Alderaan, it's, it's not going to be long before this whole Rackle Plague spreads across the entire galaxy and you know, defeats the, the Republic in a, in a way that maybe they weren't intending or they weren't expecting. One thing I'll say, you know, we talked about the art. The cover art on these has been really, really good, which, you know, which is kind of funny because, the, you know, the interiors don't necessarily match. But Dustin Weaver is credited with, with the covers. The last three parts, the first one is by Travis Cheris, which is, is pretty solid, the, the Generation cover. But the, the other covers, especially to the, you know, what we're going into next, which is KOTOR 27, part three, is they're just, they're very nice. Yeah, I agree. I like this cover a lot. It kind of reminds me of Alex Ross or um, that new guy that's about to do the new jo- uh, James Robinson Justice League, the Italian uh, artist who also does that painted style, whose name I'm totally blanking on now. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very much reminiscent of that kind of stuff. The, um, the covers, I think, all through this, uh, these six issues are solid, though, for sure. I mean, I like Travis Cherist as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, it's just sad that the interior art, at least on the KOTOR series, is kind of... I, I, I say it's, uh, it's like a bad imitation of like Mark Bagley or Ed uh, McGuinness, that kind of cartoony style. And it doesn't really fit Star Wars very well. You know? Yeah, the only thing I can say, yeah. again, to the art is don't be soured on the entire series um, based on these four issues because the rest of them are, are pretty solid, I, I think. I don't even think it's necessarily bad. It's just, I, I think Jim, Jim probably said it best. It, it just doesn't maybe fit... Star Wars that well, and for a character that they're trying to make sure is you know hot, yeah. she's not. <laughs> yeah, for me it's like Umberto Ramos and Scotty Young on X Men. It just to me it's just it's just not right. Put them on another, put them on other stuff, and you know like Scotty Young and Wizard of Oz, and it's phenomenal, but just doesn't fit. Um, right, new new X Men. This is almost like good Hellboy art or something like quirky, you know, even like an Umbrella Academy like. Yeah, yeah. Quirky, cartoony. Yeah, it would be well-suited for something, some other uh, um, subject matter. But like I said, just for Star Wars, I mean, I, as we'll see later in the Dark Times episode or um, 
issues that we're going to be looking at. I mean, the, the artwork is much more clean, realistic, and looks a lot more Star Warsy to me. Like like John said, some of the art's bad. It just doesn't really fit. Yeah. Well, let's continue on with the third issue here. Unless you have something else you want to jump in on that discussion. No, I think we've beaten it. Yeah. Pretty well at yeah. this point. We, we, yeah. I think everybody yeah. clear. We don't. We're not crazy about the art, right? We're we're clear. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, so we go through their their escaping here. It's now, just... if we didn't really make that clear, let's just say that we're not crazy about the art. <laughs> well, the worst case of it comes in this issue, so I'll just point that out when yeah. we get to it, and then that'll be it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we get to the line I was just saying about how the, uh, you, you know, I never said called them the Covenant is on here, but they basically decide, okay, we need to work together for the short term here, and then we're we go into the room control room. There's there's. You know, dead Mandalorians and converted Mandal and, and Rackle Mandalorians all around. Griff is like, you know, come on, where's this? Where's the financial records? I got to find what's going on. He finds out now that not only they're hunting for this talisman, but he sent Celeste Morn, who we now knows that, you know, Celeste is who he was after. She sneaks off and uh, checks into home base, talks uh, on a hologram platform, just like uh, Vader would have spoken to uh, the Emperor on, and uh, finds about the uh, about the Rackle plague. He's like, you know, give me the talisman and kill Zane Carrick. Done. Go. Um, Zane, you know, comes in just after she hung up. She's about That's to kill the one. I promise this is it. <laughs> the last panel on the right when <laughs> Zane. Hey, was that Coruscant? Oh, look at her face. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, she's like cross-eyed and. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm uh, done with uh, art bashing. It's, All right. I promise you, Dark Times is better. So she got her lifesaver out. She's ready to go, and she's like, "I just can't do it yet." You know, she's she's she, she's struggling because she she knows she believes him. She knows he's not he's not who he's supposed to be. Zane is calling Cassius, so he's now on the hologram platform, and Cassius is talking to him. Now they've met before. We've already mentioned this. They've met before in a previous arc, so he knows who Zane is. Can you guys just help me um, with one with one thing? Yeah. He they want Zane dead. Because he's blamed for Padawan killings? They had a vision, and the vision caused them to kill all their Padawans, but Zane was late to the killing, so they pinned the killings on him. So they need him to be dead, A, to uh, make sure the prophecy doesn't get fulfilled, and B, to be uh, silent on the killing of all the other Padawans. The, the authorities so, right. in the Jedi Order want him for questioning. They want to find out what happened. They want him to be brought to justice. The the covenant the you know five masters or now four masters want him dead for the exact reasons Jim just mentioned. They believe he's the key to the return of the Sith, basically. Okay, so now the Jedi that what's her name? The girl Celeste. 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 Does she know that he? She doesn't know that he really didn't did it. She thinks he's responsible. She knows yeah. what her masters have told her. They told her told her to kill him. She has had spent time with him, talked to him, learned his story, and is now doubting what the masters have told her. Gotcha. Okay, thank you. Partially because she thinks he's half incompetent. <laughs> right, which is causing her to believe the chance that, well, maybe he couldn't have done this. Especially, I think, she, you know, it starts to erode, and then he makes the call to, uh, to Fett, and he uh, tries to warn him about the, uh, the infection. And he says, but they're people. And then she has a look on her face like, Okay, maybe this, you know, she's slowly eroding her trust in the covenant, both through, like Russ said, his total incompetence, but also the way he acts and the way he reacts to these situations. Yeah. One quick aside on the parallels in the, to 
the car, the comic series and the video games is, you know, in the video games, you started as a person who is probably force sensitive, but doesn't have a full suite of powers in both cases was actually a full, full Jedi in the past, but you're finding them at a point in the time where they've been either disconnected from the force, basically have to relearn anything. We're seeing a lot of that with Zane. He was a Padawan, not exactly top of his class, if you will, but as the series has gone on, he's become more and more competent in his Force abilities and his Jedi powers and confident in his own abilities. So you could see the potential of a real Jedi and hero of the Republic in him develop throughout the course of the series. So that's just one of the many perils that they've, they've come in with this. I wouldn't be surprised if somehow down the road, because every other character, every other main character um, in these four books is tied to the Skywalker line, Vader, Skywalker, Luke himself, and, and Cade. I would not be surprised if in some way Zane ends up being a distant ancestor of, say, Shmi Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. It would That's what I like about it being set this far back. The, the possibilities are endless, and they've got a whole lot of room to play with, you know, before they right. even get near anything that we know of. And there's a line in, uh, in I think it's the, the legacy arc of, of Vector that um, helped me along with that idea. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see how this also fits in with the new um, MMO, uh, The Old Republic, that BioWare is working yeah. on. That is going to be under- yeah. set, I understand, several years or even 100 years after the original game. So... You have a whole different set of things you can play with, which is nice. Um, okay, so Zane is captured. After he speaks with Fett, he's captured by Rackgulls, who are acting rather coordinated and brought to, um, what do we call him? Pulsiver. Thank you. And he's you know put on a platform. The, the Rackgulls are clearly serving him. You can see um, on his right arm, he is wearing, he is still wearing the, um, the talisman. So he is... Um, Controlling as best he can, but again, he's not force sensitive, but he is a warm body. And uh, as soon as he gets fairly close to Zane, it disengages from him. It gets off of him, and the Rackgulls start to uh, to turn on on him. You know, because again, I uh, it's it wants to be attached and tied to with a Jedi, if at all possible. So it tries to latch on to uh, latch on to Zane. Pulsifer, he's supposed to look pale with the red eyes at this point, right? Like the the talisman's taking its toll on him. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, the Sith it, it think of the Emperor, you know, mm-hmm. in the in the movies. I thought that was a nice touch. The, the yellow eyes is a symptom, if you will, of dark dark force energies, the Sith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Sith in yeah. particular, but uh I think anyone who taps in the dark force is going to be uh is going to get their yellow eyes, the red eyes thing, and so you're seeing that in him. And we see that big time in legacy. Oh god, yeah, do we? I think the best is uh, not to jump into the books real quick, but there's um, when they there's this one character in the Legacy of the Force series when he goes all Sith, he's described as having yellow eyes, and like when he's when he's really using his his dark his dark side powers, he, his eyes change to yellow Sith eyes. Normally they're the normal blue or whatever. And considering who this character is, it's pretty cool to hear that too. Yeah. So the uh, Rackles jump all over our boy, and he's out for the count. But boom, they're all thrown to the wall when. Through a force push, because Celeste comes in to save the day. And as the uh, talisman is just about to fully attach onto Zane, she reaches out to grab it, because of course she needs it to take it back. It attaches to her fully, and we get the full reveal of what the talisman is all about. Where we see this force projection 
uh, of Karnas Muir, um, the creator of the original Talisman, who we saw in, the, well, it's not really the real, we saw him in the vision of the beginning, now we see him again here. You know, and she's asking, who are you? And, like, he's reaching a hand down to her, the future, and you are mine. And she just collapses unconscious. Yeah, so the Talisman, I guess, is just pure dark side energy, like this guy invested his entire soul into this talisman and he was like a Sith master. Yeah. Yeah, I take it as, it, I take it almost as kind of like, you know, when what we've seen in the movies, when the Jedi just kind of fade away when they die, that certain Sith, and we've seen it, again, not to beat it to death, but in the Tales of the Jedi stuff, these ancient Sith are able to put their essences into either their mummified remains or into artifacts or statues or whatever. So, it, you know, it, it appears that Karnas Mir has done this into, into his talisman that he created. Yeah, the Sith holocrons you'll find, uh, which are, you know, basically store art and knowledge, and they'll be used in Vector, or excuse me, Legacy and other, other books. As you said, store their knowledge and can be released and have what are really nothing more than um, forced memories, if you will. But here's a case where it's, it's, it's pretty much his essence. Is is trapped inside this uh, this artifact? But he needs like a force sensitive human to activate it for him to manifest. Really, the, the best way to describe it is he's now he's nothing more than a parasite now, and he needs a host. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. And we see it really, you know, again, we'll see it play out more, and that's what I like about the subsequent books is we really see that kind of burdening of Celeste, you know, Carnus Murray's is burdening her and, and trying to influence her and, and win out over her. And we'll see that over the subsequent volumes a lot more so than we've seen, you know, up to this point. So the Rackles start to kind of turn on them and they're like, whoa, what's up? And, and Celeste, you know, says, no, they're not a problem for me, but I'm not sure what that means for everyone else. And they're literally, they're on their knees bowing to her, acknowledging her as, as their leader. And so we, uh, at this point, don't know what's up. All we know is, you know, she, she is now bonded with this, with this talisman. Then we have an awesome cover to, to 28 with uh, Celeste with the talisman on and her lightsaber raised in the army of uh, Mandalorian Rackgulls behind her. That is a cool cover. Blown in the breeze. And, I and it's, love that cover. It's much more the, uh, the Celeste who I expected to see, and you can see the hint of yellow in her eyes Yep. in that, but it's also very contrary to the Celeste that's been drawn, as we've said time and time again in these issues, that... Just led to my confusion some more, but uh, it just was uh, just a bad choice. Doesn't matter. <laughs> See, if only we were the editors at Dark Horse, we would make all the right decisions. It would. would never be any problems. It would be. See, so Dark Horse, hire us. You need us. Yep. That's right. Somebody hire us. <laughs> <laughs> the Ratcools are are jumping on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's turning the pilots yeah. into Ratcools. That's what she's doing. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, these are the these are the forces of of Jeebel. Yeah, I love and that. Like she's she's being very calm and collected about the whole thing, and she's and and Zane's like freaking out. Celeste, how can you say that? They tore that man apart. They have to eat something, Zane. Yeah. Yeah, and here's where she's talking. She understands more what it does. You know, like can their personalities be restored? No, they're they're but imprints. Only their skills remain. So, you know, we're getting um, a little bit of exposition as to what's been going on in these previous three issues now, out of these first few pages. It's an interesting exchange because Zane is concerned about this growing infection and Celeste is just kind of playing it cool about what's what's going on. It's a classic then, uh it's a classic thing, you know, the, the the whole absolute power corrupts absolutely. I mean we've seen it in storyline after storyline in the comics and here we see it again, you know, the talisman has attached herself to her and it's totally taking her over. You know, the power is just too much for her to control, you know, even though she has the best of intentions. It's definitely a 
one of those themes from the original Star Wars trilogy that, you know, like you guys said before, they, they carry it over into these books, and it's a good idea to just stick with it. You know, it's a theme that Star Wars fans recognize with the, the, the dark side of the Force being corruptive and really taking a toll on a person and, and changing who they are. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Yep. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's tried and true. Yep. One of the great things we, we see here, I guess it's on the fourth or fifth, fifth page in at this point, is Zane's able to start pulling the pieces together as to a little bit more of what Lucy and Dre, who is, is the, the guy we saw at the beginning, leader of this shadow group, that Celeste is actually, was actually dispatched by his mother. And there's a, there's a series of issues that go into how Lucian and his mother have been kind of how their relationship has been strained and how she treated him. And so Zane's kind of starting to put the pieces together here, and that's going to play out big in the, in the, in the upcoming arcs after Vector. Yeah, and we see a, a piece where uh, Griff shows up with the data sphere, and he, you know, he's got the, the more pieces of the puzzle, which leads him on to that, to that little bit. And then she realizes kind of at this point that something has to be done, that she can't. You know, she can't be responsible for what's going to get unleashed on the galaxy. She's yeah. fighting it at this point. She is. She's realizing that she's becoming what she's been fighting against. She's, she's, she's controlling the, the Sith power is what, you know, she's turning to. Meanwhile, they found this, this other artifact. Pulsifer found another artifact called the Obulet, which is a, basically a stasis chamber. And uh, it was, we find it was met for Karnas. So she, this, they decide that. You know, rather than kill her, which you know they know wouldn't really work out too well, she would go into stasis. And she hands something to to Zane, which is basically a key, because she talks about how she was part of a recovery team. They they sought out these Sith artifacts. Her mission was to take the talisman to one of these one of these storage facilities, if you will. May I see the storage facility? And so she gives this she gives this to Zane, which is basically going to give them the next piece of his mission to clear his name, and it's going to then take us into these next series, the next story arcs of KOTOR and take us out of Vector. One of the things I noticed with this Obulet, again, to keep consistency and to keep you, as, a, as a, especially a new reader, grounded in the, in the Star Wars universe, but I instantly thought of uh, Vader's chamber in Empire Strikes Back with the two pieces that came down when he was, um, had, his, had his helmet off. Right. I guess his, his stasis chamber or whatever they called it, it kind of had that, I guess it's teeth or whatever that interlock in, in that way. It Not to jump out of the, the comic again, but in some of the books that I've been reading and uh, about the expanded universe, they talk about Sith vessels having meditation chambers. And I, I got to wondering if that was, in fact, his meditation chamber, you know, kind of where he used the force to help control the battle of things like that. You know, I always yeah, thought of it, I always thought of it as, as a sterile environment where he could take his helmet off, and it probably was that as well, but... It was part of the uh, Darth Vader Star Destroyer playset back in the day, because I had that. It was, that's right. Yeah. You know, I love how her, la- her parting words are to take care of uh, Krinda, Lucian's mother. You know, as she says, yeah. you know, she's devoted to Zane, not evil. Just like, and he's like, just like you, thank you. They have, they've reached an understanding with each other, the last thing they do as, as he seals her in, in this coffin. But with the intention of getting to a healer and being able to release her and free her from that, that's the intention. But of course, the moment that she's put under, the, there's no one thinking for the Ratcools, so they, they go nuts and basically start to storm the compound. So now here's poor Griff and, and Zane left out to dry. Here comes the cavalry. Here comes the cavalry, all right. And uh, we've got a couple members of this crew that's been come together, and uh, we see a Jedi with a lightsaber standing on the landing platform along with a Mandalorian and um, 
and Jarrell, who is uh, one of the original members of the crew who we've learned. But uh, the name of the, of the Jedi is Alec. At least that's we're calling him Alec. All I guess I'm going to say right now is he is a major character in the Knights of the Republic video game, and that's all I'm going to put of that. So they get aboard the, the ship, the last outpost. Is that the name of the ship? Yeah, so they put, get on board and they take off. But just as Cassius Fett's fleet bombards the planet, just like he's seen happen, you know, the rest of the crew tries to help him, but we find that the, the obulette is now in the bottom of an ocean of an ice planet. So uh, he's bas- she's basically lost to him, so there's little, if any, chance he could ever possibly recover her to cure her like he had hoped or intended. Yeah, and the one one thing I'll point out, too, is the I mean, it's the page after all the nuking happens. Um, at the bottom, there's Jeriel, who's the white-skinned lady with the blue. She's She's been a part of it, like Ken said, since, since the beginning. And then to her right is a character called Shell, and she's actually the sister of one of the Padawans that was killed yes. at the very beginning of the book. And so she, it was kind of reconciled last arc, but she was kind of basically on a vendetta against Zane as well because she thought he killed his brother, her brother. Yeah, I, I, read so the they, fir- I read the first arc of this, of the whole series when in issues, and I, I didn't stick with it after the first arc because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really feeling invested into it yet. I was into expanding the universe like I am now at the time either. But the big thing was I, 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 got it. I started reading it because I wanted to more of that game universe, and I wasn't getting it. Yeah, they're on Terrace, but they didn't cover anything yet. Then I read Vector, and I went back and got some of the trades, and I'm glad I did because she actually has a really interesting story arc, and her character gets getting developed more and more. It's really been fascinating, and it's been introducing me to uh, some newer species, and she ties into that space slug arc I was mentioned earlier. Uh, so she's just been a really interesting, fascinating character to me. Uh, when we first met them, they were just the people who were there you know, that got in his way. Um, they've, they've done a lot to get me invested into them. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there that uh, it, it's been a good ride. And you, know, you see in the next page at the bottom, pl- you know, the bottom uh, panel, you know, all these spe- beings, you know, different species who have all basically sur- come to, to Zane to be part of his support system. He, he's really going from outlaw to hero one person at a time. Yeah, and so ends the KOTOR arc of Vector. Does anybody have any thoughts to put towards for that whole first arc? Bioware, please make KOTOR 3. <laughs> I think we're going to be getting I, Old Republic, but I'm, I'm going to end up buying I know, I know we're getting Old Republic. I know they're coming out with Dragon Age. I know they're coming out with Mass <laughs> Effect 2. They're very busy, I realize. But after hey, the ending they left us with on KOTOR 2... They owe us KOTOR 3. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> what if Bethesda did KOTOR 3? Uh, I, could, I could live with that. I could live with or Obsidian, <laughs> even, you know, I yeah. could live with that. Anybody else? Right. I liked it. I liked it enough. I liked, I liked the way this issue ended. I liked that it kind of sent Celeste off, let you know where to pick it up, you know, and it was a good, it was a good cliffhanger. Like, I would, I would want to know where that went. And like I said, it did in such a way where now Celeste's story can move on into dark times. The rest of the crew can, you know, go there. But we picked up a lot of pieces on the way that's going to help Zane on his on his quest to clear his name. Plus, Russ- it was enough of uh, it was enough of the flavor of uh, the Knights of the Old Republic comic that if you're coming into Vector like I am, having not read any of the comics on a regular basis, you kind of get a taste for what's going on in the Knights of the Old Republic comic. 
and those characters and situations. And that was important to the point of this series. They wanted to make it so that someone who hasn't been reading these books can have an easy way to get in and enjoy the Star Wars comics without having to know much of anything. And um, it sounds like, by your ear, Jim, they succeeded in that. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the Dark Times part more, but you know, as far as like reading the, you know, the story, I enjoyed. I don't know if I would you know pick it up monthly or in trades or whatever. Okay. But uh, but I mean, as part I, I, again, I, I enjoyed the um, the Dark Times portion of this a lot better. I think I, I really thought the art clicked a lot better. I thought the story was very interesting. It made sense, you know, that Vader would want to take down the Emperor, not to jump ahead or anything. But, right. But I mean, coming in cold, you know, it's a good little you know sampler for me i get four issues i'm like okay this is what's going on here i understand the story arc or whatever okay this is what's going on here and then i you know maybe i wouldn't want to get a nice sale to probably every month but i would want to check out dark times of legacy cool you know yeah and, and you mentioned about so. darth vader wanting to take you know take down the emperor that's something that has been worked into vader's character since since the beginning i mean in empire he's already talking he wants to bring luke on to turn him but really he wants to use him to overthrow the emperor in episode three, Anakin, before he even becomes, you know, burned, but he's already turned to Darth Vader, he's already talking about, you know, overthrowing the Emperor and, you know, rule the galaxy more powerful than him. In uh, later, after this, the Force Unleashed, he, you know, he takes, he takes a, a, an apprentice for years, you know, training him with the sole purpose of using him to, you know, overthrow the Emperor. And so now here we are seeing it again here. It's always been, and that's always been a Sith, you know, the rule of two. I mean, a Sith's ultimate job is to, you know, kill his master and become the, the Sith master. So with that, let's uh, move into Dark Times. Russ, you want to give us a quick recap and tell us, you know, kind of where we are in this Dark Times world universe, what part of the timeline we're in, and what's happened with some of the characters that, um, that we're going to meet as we start up? Yeah, uh, so Dark Times started, what happened was when Dark Horse decided to revamp the line, there were two books that um, were going on. There was one called Empire and one called Republic. And those books split out of the actual Dark Horse Star Wars monthly that started in the months leading up to the Episode One release. So that book went on, I think, through the Clone Wars or just right around the Clone Wars, and then or right before that, and then they split it into, into um, Empire and Republic, where um, the Republic book took place basically in the prequel area and Empire took place in the, you know, post-Episode 4 era, and they told stories. So they decided when they were going to revamp everything, they, they stopped Empire and Republic, and they started KOTOR, they started Legacy, and they started Dark Times and Rebellion. So Dark Times is what used to be Republic. So basically they used pretty much Order 66 and Darth Vader becoming, you know, Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader as the cutoff point. So when Dark Times started, it was like 30 days or 45 days after Order 66 was executed, and we see the Great Purge. And there was an actual one-shot um, called Star Wars Purge where we see a, a renegade Jedi that actually went up against Vader and actually gave him a pretty good run for his money, um, cut his mask and, and some other stuff. And so there's a couple few care Jedi, or there's several Jedi that are still running around when this book starts. And the one thing about this book is it's, it's a lot more disjointed in a way than the other books where you have three, two to three sets of characters that are running around in different places. And then, of course, you have the Vader Emperor um, aspect to it, the beginnings of, of the empires going on. So there's, there's almost like four plots that are kind of going on 
as we start. There's there's two separate plots. There's there's a Jedi named Jazz Denner who was kind of associated with the Bomo Greenbark, who's the one of the characters that we'll see in this run. And then there's a Jedi Master called Kirkuk, I guess that's how you would pronounce it, who is at, at immediately previous to this is kind of shepherding a, 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 a set of Padawans that were kind of left around after the purge, and he's trying to keep them hidden and secret from the Empire. So you've got these these rogue Jedi running around just basically trying to survive. One of the Jedi actually like goes undercover and just tries to abandon the fact and forget that he was a Jedi. And so you have this Bumbo Greenbar character who, in a way, is kind of like the Griff character, but not goofy and silly, but very serious and kind of this pirate rogue type of, of guy who has his crew and his ship, um, and they run into these other Jedi that are that are running around. So in the arc prior to Dark Times, they actually came across the coffin that contained the art, the um, the, the artifact, the basically Celestial. Well, we don't we don't even know that in those books. We just know they're carrying around something, a box, some kind of cargo. We don't even know right. what's in it yet at that point. Just to be clear, it's in correct. there, correct. But there's folks that want it, and basically the uh, the crew just wants to try and sell it. You know, they're just out for for money and to survive and and you know move along in this in this new order that's come along. So they've got this this container that they're just wanting to sell and has and that pretty much takes us into the vector portion of dark times. Right. I got a real firefly uh, vibe from this uh, crew on this ship. Just kind of the you know they're trying to scrape by and survive you know, anywhere they can. That's probably it. You know the brown coat are trying to make a living among the um, what do they call the 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 establishment, but yeah, they're they're just, they're just trying to make their way um, through whatever work they can find, be it uh, legitimate or less than legitimate. And just to you know, again, not to to harp on the art too much, but Doug Wheatley is my favorite Star Wars artist. Him and Jan Dersima are very very close, but Wheatley's this painted kind of style to it. It carries over from Republic. Wheatley was the artist on the last few arcs of Republic. He did the art on the Purge one shot and it carried over into dark times, which this book for anybody that hasn't been following it, obviously they all started around the same time yet. We're on issue 11 of dark times and we're on, you know, 26 or 27 of, of KOTOR Republican dark times suffered from, they decided to make them bi-monthly. So the, the thought was dark times would come out one month. Rebellion would come out the next month and so on and so forth. And I think a lot of that was to keep Wheatley on the art, but obviously there's, I think there are issues with deadline and schedule. And we'll see that come into play in issue twelve. But I just I love his his style. I love the art in this book. Um, it's it's just stellar. Shall we move in? Moving in. So, so the first page we see the republic. What what we saw in episode three is the Republic battle cruiser, and we see kind of the origins of Imperial shuttles and stuff like that. So again, to kind of tie us back into what we've seen in episode three and see how it's kind of evolving. And we see a character who is in a detention cell. And it was one of the crew members of the UML, which is the, the the main character ship in the book. And we see Vader enter the um, detention cell, much like we did in Episode Four in Princess Leia's cell. This goes to really, aside from the ships, as you said, you're absolutely right in that. This goes a lot towards the uh, the timeline. You know, can you imagine there ever having been a time when someone did not know who Darth Vader was? You know, you have this this great page, and he's like, you know, do you know who I am? No. You know, or scared? No, but you fear me? Yes, that will be sufficient for now. Yeah, yeah, he's not a household name at this point. Not at all. 
But I mean, I can't. I, I until I saw the page, I couldn't even imagine a time where you know there's someone living in this world who wouldn't know who Darth Vader is. Okay, so obviously this is in the time between episodes three and four. Mm-hmm. Where would you place it? Like, like very, very early um, after three episode months. three. Is this, do you think this yeah, is still three months in the three month range at this point? Yeah. What? What? I was reading somewhere online, and what they placed it as is pretty much each arc jumps it forward a month. And this is, I think, the third arc. I'm going through. I've got the got the um, for the 30th anniversary. They put out hardcovers, 12 hardcovers, one every month. And one of them they put out was Purge, which collects the Purge one shot and uh, the Last Republic arc. And Purge, which is the last story in the book, takes place approximately one month after events in Revenge of the Sith. So then we get Dark Times starting. And so I think that's like three weeks after Purge, and then the next arc is like a month after that, and then this one starts and immediately jumps three weeks. So we're somewhere between three to six months after what we saw in Revenge of the Sith. By the way, Russ, I totally agree with you on this art, man. This Doug Wheatley art is really nice. Yeah, you should. Um, those last couple arcs of Republic and that Purge one-shot, if you could find that somewhere, you should definitely pick it up because it's, it's really, really good. I mean, his art in that is just solid. Yeah, so here we have, uh, they're opening the casket for the first time uh, on the ship, and we're, at least the first time that we're seeing it, they've had it open before. And as uh, the captain of the ship starts telling the story, he says, about 1,400 standard years ago, ice miners on a planet called Jebel founded under a kilometer of ice. So this is 4,000 years, more or less, after the casket fell to the bottom of the, of the ocean on Jebel. You know, so, and again, it was an ice planet, like I said, and it basically you know, froze solid. They found it, it was dug up, it was you know, brought to the surface, and no one could open it, no one knew what it was. And it's been passed on through war, wars have been fought over it, and eventually you know, this crew found it uh, on, the, on a battlefield. You know, trying to find salvage, and since then they've been trying to sell it. And so, we, in just a couple of pages, we just you know quickly find out how it got from the bottom of the ocean, how it got to where it was, and a little bit of the time frame. So it's been you know, Celeste has been sealed up in there alone with this Sith Lord for uh, a couple of days or two. <laughs> yeah. So again, at this point, no one knows what it is, but they think they have a buyer. You know, you get a little brief glimpse of what happened before this arc. You know, we didn't you know, hear like we didn't lose Sniffles. You know, he was killed by one of your friends, and he's like, Chris, I'm I'm so, like sorry, and like. You get a little bit to know that something happened beforehand, but again, all those details were laid out in the arcs preceding this uh, this book. Yeah, that's that's one of the things about this book. It's one of those. It's almost like watching Lost or Twenty Four or a Joss Whedon kind of thing, where there's no sacred cows in this series. You know, they've people. You know, made main characters have died, and we'll even see in this coming arc where another significant character that's that's been in the book for a while um, is killed off. So. Yeah. It's really interesting that, you know, you can really read this with the anticipation of, you know, you don't know at any moment if anybody's going to get it. Then we see that the buyer, this whole this whole concept of somebody wishing to buy it was just really a setup. Yeah, I mean, the, um, if you recognize the man as a buyer, he was behind Vader's shoulder during that interrogation scene. Yes. Then, of course, we, we cut to the buyer finding, in conjunction with the case, finding uh, Griff's memoirs which detail the finding of the uh, you know of the talisman and what it does and and what you know what happened with it and then one of the things i find interesting in this book and the next one too is we see vader but very little dialogue at least for the first portion of it and then uh, you know later on we'll get a little more but um there's many panels where he's there and and just kind of like in the movies too you know a lot of times where he's just kind of around but didn't you know didn't really say say much 
his presence, you know, again, more than anything. You're Darth Vader. You don't have to say that much. That's right. You know, so this scientist, this, this guy, he wants to take some time to analyze it, but you know, Vader just walks right over and just force blasts the whole thing open. And, uh, you know, no one else could ever open this, but you know, clearly it takes a Jedi. It takes, takes the force. So, um, it opens right up for him. You know, I guess he knew how to rub the lamp the right way. And you immediately see a marked difference in, uh, in the way our Jedi is drawn. I mean, you really do get this like sleeping beauty effect out of her. You know, like I said earlier, they were looking for, and again, she's been asleep for 4,000 years. I guess you can't get much more sleeping beauty than that. That's right. She probably has to pee really bad. (laughs) I would think. Austin Power style. Yep. She immediately wakes up calling Zane's name, and the last person she, that's who she expects to find. And uh, of course, Karnas Muir is still, still with her ever present. Now he aged, it seems, right? Probably not. He's a, force, uh, he's a force projection, so he's probably I, about the same. But it, but I the picture of him looks different. It's different than honestly. in that first like splash in the first issue. Oh well, the vision. I mean, who knows? He that's probably when he was a younger man before he actually died. So right. I mean, we're probably yeah. seeing a force ghost, if you will, like we would have seen with uh, with Obi Wan. You know, at, at his death. Part of it, I think, is artist rendition. And that's that's part of it, I'm sure, as well. But explain to us more about how long time has passed, you know, set as them explain to her how long she was out. They get a little bit of exposition as to what's been going on this whole time. You know, and she still still has her red eyes, don't forget. And she's, like, uh, under effect of, of, of Muir. You know, and she's, like, immediately realized then Zane failed because Zane was supposed to, uh, was supposed find to uh, find a cure. Yeah, and she's like, the Covenant, Covenant successful? You know, we don't know about the Covenant. So she's... Uh, Asking about everything, asking about the rat cools. And the scientists here, um, isolated on terrace and eventually wiped out. So and that plays into what we talked about the video game where they were only on terrace and one of your quests were to find a cure. So they were wiped out and cured. You know, again, yeah. the, the canon, the continuity assumes that you, know, you took the quest where you cured the, cured the plague. And this is what I like where we start to get the build up is the fact that Muir is really becoming her you know, devil on the shoulder kind of thing going on yep. where he's, he's ever present. And from, from basically this point forward, this is what we're going to see. Yeah. So she's, in, she's questioning about, she's questioning about what she knows to be the status quo, which is 4,000 years old. The Mandalorians did not conquer. Oh good. The Republic still stands. Oh no, no, the, the Sith have taken over and that, and then it clicks Sith. So we get a beautiful full splash page of her, like going full Jedi out on, on Vader. Finally, yeah. she 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 was so used to being with Muir that another Sith presence didn't really appear make itself known to her until she realized, wait a minute, there's Sith here. You know, she just thought she was just feeling Muir still. Is this her coming out of the trance, so to speak? Like I, I'm having a hard time with understanding if she's possessed by Muir. Oh. Why does she attack Vader? She she's not possessed by him in such a way that he controls her actions. He just like art or like Russ said it perfectly. You know, he he's he's just kind of whispering in her ear, just like kind of you know sending thoughts her way. He's not in control yet. Okay, but it's definitely by the fact that that thing is latched onto her. It's definitely affecting. You know, it, it's having an effect on her. But yeah, but it hasn't it hasn't taken hold. Um, right. Yet. Again, Next few pages of great force lightsaber battle between Vader and Celeste and some stormtroopers get in the way here. Yeah, a couple lost limbs here and there. Yeah, this is definitely my favorite issue of the first five. I guess it's just more, you know, just seeing Vader in action and 
you know, we've talked enough about the art, but the art is stronger and just getting Vader and, and, and the time frame that I guess I'm more comfortable with. Sure. But I thought this was well done. Like, like you said, the Sleeping Beauty aspect of it and uh, her coming out of the coffin ready to go and stuff. I, just, I thought this was definitely the strongest. For me, I liked it the best so far. Sure. Yeah. And it pretty much ends with you know, just the two of them continuing on their battle. And then the fact that she's, you know, she mentioned she's devoted her life to destroying your, you know, his kind. And so Vader's, you know, trying to tell her to, that she's, she's on her way to the dark side. It's not going to take much for her to come over. And so, of course, she's still trying to fight it. And even one of the things to keep in mind, too, John, like you were saying, how even if she was possessed by the Sith, you know, why would she be, or, you know, questioning her fighting Vader? Again, to kind of go with what they've set up in, in the past, in all the books previous that took place in or before the era of the KOTOR book, which is where she's from, the Sith that they showed in there are very infighting. You know, they're very much the the whole, you know, alpha male. You know, there's one, you know, there's one leader and the rest have to be subservient. So even, I would I would suspect even at this point, if she was fully in possessed by the mere talisman at this point that mirror would be trying to convince her that Vader's a stepping stone and she you know she would need to, to get to get him out of the way in order to get to that next level and then take it on to the emperor beyond him right i can live with that right, so go into the last issue and we have another uh artist change we go to uh you know dave ross for the first half of the book and then doug wheatley kicks in for the second half never heard out why they did it that way if it was just a timing issue and you had to get some help getting the pages done because like you said, yeah, they're doing Wheelie t- twice a, every two months for him, but now they wanted to do this monthly to keep it on track for all of last year. Maybe that was it. I read through 10 before we started tonight, and uh, I read in the letters columns, because Dark Horse, for the Star Wars books, they still do letter columns. And one of the things they made a proud announcement of is that Wheatley was going to do the art for 10 and 11, or for 11, for 11 and 12, because somebody was kind of mentioning the fact that the arc prior to to this one, that it was it, it, it was a different artist on the book, it wasn't Wheatley. And uh, and so they said, oh, you know, don't fret that, you know, Doug Wheatley will be back and do the whole Vector arc. So I think this was, a, again, a case of, you know, without knowing for sure and having inside info, I think it was just a case of Wheatley getting behind in his art chores and they had to get somebody to, to pitch in that had done this book before right. um, to work on it. Yeah, just because, you know, not, not, not to say, I mean, it's, it's still, you know, I think serves the story pretty well, but it's, you know, marked difference from what we had seen in the previous issue. Yeah, it's a little jarring when it when it flips. Not horribly so. But, yeah, I didn't even I mean, notice like said, it as much when I was reading in issues because again, a month had passed. But you can see it in the trade, it's like, wow, when that happened? Yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, you have the fight. The rate, the fight continues. You know, Vader's saying, "I'm offering you a chance to rule the galaxy at my side." You know, we've heard that line before. Yeah. And uh, but meanwhile, Muir is like just kind of whispering in her ear. You know, it's like you know this one's strong. You know, he's willing. He deserves a talisman. He he's basically wants her to release the talisman. Uh, and go to, so he can go to go to Vader that or fully accept me so you can defeat him because there's no way you can defeat him without his help. So either way, he's trying to, you know, he wants to take over fully. I love on this page here, the I guess it's the fourth panel when she's having her inner fight with Murr. Um, we get the look on the scientist's face. He's kind of confused, and we get the two stormtroopers looking at each other like, what is wrong with this woman? What, yeah. Who is she talking to? Yep, because they're just hearing her talk to herself. They're not getting the, both your side of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah, in her so distraction, like, in her distraction, Vader gives her a little force push right against the one against the column. Meanwhile, the crew, the crew of the uh, of the ship, they're just watching like all handcuffed, can't do much. But it's like, all right, well, you know, is there is there dinner with the dinner with the show? And they're like, you know, what are we gonna do? He's like, uh, he, he's trying to escape, he's trying to pull the shackles off so they can get the heck out of there. 
Yeah. Meanwhile, the, the battle rages. And then he gets her pin, drops her saber. I love this 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 line and this this sequence. This guy's lightsaber at her throat. He's like, you know, surrender or die. And everybody's like, uh oh. Everybody's yeah. face is just kind of shocked. Yeah, I love how they they cut to you know everybody like that and show show their expression. And then this next page is really cool. I like that she's kind of you know thinking about what would happen if the talisman went to Vader. And you see that last panel where he's got an army of Rakuls and his lightsaber raised and you know, just continuing his, his reign of death and destruction. So I'm looking here is, what do you think, Russ, here? Is Muir talking to Vader, or is he just simply still in Celeste's head, but he's talking to Vader for her benefit, not that Vader can necessarily hear him? Because um, he's, he's, he's putting these visions in either her head or his head, you know, trying to decide what to do. Basically convincing her, like, you know, fully accept me, or let me go to him, but you let me go to him. It's going to be worse for the galaxy. So she finally realizes, you know, and I love this scene. The Emperor's dead, dying on the, dead on the floor, but Vader's just kneeling before Muir now, like traded one master for another. I took it as he was able to get inside Vader's head. That's how I took it. Yeah. I, I kind um, of thought that as well, but I think he was sticking those visions in her head to kind of get her to really fully accept him. This is, that's what I thought. I was just, well, again, wasn't really, wasn't really sure. I didn't think Vader could hear him. I thought it was just kind of him acting things out around Vader. For her benefit, right? Like to right. help convince her. Because all of the, uh, the dialogue and the, uh, um, or the, the, like the inner monologue in the yellow boxes that is meant to be of her, it's kind of like her deciding to do. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to think it really is. It's, she's, ha- she's seen this future as a potential future, the consequence of her giving up instead of giving in, if you, if you get my point, my meaning. You know, giving up yeah. the talisman to and releasing it to Vader is like she's like, no, I can't, I can't do that. Good, okay. So it's when that doctor tries to sneak away that Vader realizes that uh, he's been sent there. I mean, pretty much. I mean, it would be an end game for him. It wouldn't be you know him taking over the Emperor, just be him trading masters. Yeah. Yeah, he's starting to put two and two. See, that's that's another reason why I thought that maybe he heard it because it, it just seemed kind of convenient that you know just by him sneaking off, read a little more into it, but. Yeah, it just didn't make sense though. It just didn't make, didn't make sense. He's not really in contact with the talisman, so why would he have an impact by Muir? And then I thought, well, is he touching the talisman with the lightsaber? Because the lightsaber is, you know, is a force-based weapon. So I mean, the, that could link the two together, link him to the the talisman that way. If the saber was actually in contact with the talisman, because he's pretty close to her neck there. Yeah. So I, I, it could be a couple ways. But he's discovering, you know, that the doctor was spying on Vader on behalf of the emperor. Again, here's what I don't get. Vader could not have been, but he understands what's happening to him, but he could not have been the one who created the Rakul plague in him. You know, the talisman clearly did it, but you know, did Celeste do it? Did the, you know, Muir himself cr- cause it? Cause Vader certainly couldn't have commanded it to happen. Yeah. I- I'm guessing at this point, yeah, it was just the, the talisman. Yeah, but either way, we still only got uh, Rakuls in the place just as, uh, as our ship's crew is getting ready to escape. One of the cool things to go back to that panel where he tur- he starts to turn is the doctor, Dr. Baturi says, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord Vader, I was forced to play this part. The Emperor sent your desire to usurp him to find an apprentice to aid you in that quest. So again, here's where we get another nod over to the Force Unleashed and Vader's, you know, taking on a secret apprentice or a desire to take on a secret apprentice. We'll even, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but we'll even get another nod to that at the end of this book. So, again, just another way to try and tie all this stuff together. The other thing we see 
too, move, you know, moving forward where, you know, raccoons are starting to, where the doctor takes the charge, Vader dispenses of him pretty easily. And then we see Celeste Morn on the bottom of that page there, use her force powers to just take every stormtrooper within her reach and start tossing them all at the same time. Much like, you know, we've seen in the Force Unleashed game where you have, you know, these these massive force powers that are able to, you know, do things that we wish we would have seen in the movies and that have, you know, people just throwing, you know, droids here or people here. We're seeing this massive display of force power that, that you know, we'll see over the next few pages here. And, and as she does that, she's realizing that, you know, she can do this without fully giving herself up to Karnas Muir. She's tapping into the power of the talisman herself, infuriating Muir in the process. You know, what have you done, woman? That power is mine. Yeah. And every stormtrooper, nay, every human in the vicinity is now turning into a Rackle. She has this army of Rackles surrounding her. But as our crew, which has only one human um, on it, she, uh, Chris is about to turn into a Rackle and eventually does. And I got to say, I was actually upset when that happened. I don't want to give too much away of the previous episodes, but I, I'm going to in this case. Her whole motivation, like she was separated from her son early during the Clone Wars. A Jedi uh, found him and you know, sent something from him, did the little, you know, you know, diabetes blood test and discovered he was high, had a high midichlorian count and, you know, said he needs to be trained as a Jedi. We need warriors. Come with us. He is his, our best chance. His best chance for survival is to come with us. And she reluctantly, but, you know, lovingly agrees to send her son off to become a Jedi. It was not long after that. It could have been days or weeks, not long, not long after that, that Order 66 went through. So she, up until this point, still believes her son to be dead until we find out that he was among that group of younglings that you had mentioned at the beginning of, uh, of this arc that the other master was, was shepherding. So her son is alive. And I was, when I found that out, I was looking forward to the eventual episode, eventual com- issue, where they might be reun- reunited. Because she, she hates Jedi, you know, because they killed her son. And when I saw this happen to her, I was I was actually upset because mainly because I would never see that reunion. She she died yeah. believing her son was dead when clearly he was not. Yeah, I mean I kind of had mixed reaction too. I mean, one hand I was waiting for that like you were, but on the other hand, it's like again nothing is sacred in this book. Exactly. You, know, you, you get attached to these characters, and at any moment in time, they can be snuffed out in an instant. So yeah. after this issue ended, Dark Times was off the grid for just about a year until it just recently restarted up again. So it didn't look like we were going to go through again because I started thinking, well, maybe we'll eventually see more of her son uh, come back and. Uh, you know, maybe avenge her death or do something like that, or just at least see him again. So that may happen. We have not revisited those younglings yet. Although that master has shown up in Legacy, believe it or not, hundreds and 125 years later. Yes. 150 yes. years later, probably, really. But he's not, he's not a human master, I will say that, so he has a long lifespan. Uh, so the crew takes off down yet another crew member. Vader's plan ended in not failure but disaster. He's off to meet... His, see his master and learn his face, but meanwhile Celeste is uh, is marooned on this this moon, this planet, or wherever she is. She's stuck there, nothing but her, the Ratgulls, and Muir, and uh, there she shall sit for all eternity, stranded with no way of escape, or until we get to rebellion. Thirty years later. So, gentlemen, thoughts on thoughts on the dark dark times arc? I'll start. I mean, I I definitely enjoyed it for something that's not generally my cup of tea, as we uh, as we spoke about earlier. I mean. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to run out and start collecting something else. You know, again, I'm, I'm kind of like just happy with my Star Wars being what it is forever, etched in my memory that way. 
<laughs> but uh, but but it was definitely enjoyable. I I did like seeing um, Vader on the um, on the pages. That was really cool, and I do like the Jedi action and stuff. And I thought it was a nice mix of like solid story and good action. So um, definitely, I mean, I I check out Volume Two to see how it ends. Definitely, Jim. I thought Knights of the Old Republic was pretty good. I like the story more than I like the art. I thought Dark Times was really good. I like the story and the art. I might uh, check out Dark Times again if I found it, you know, at a convention or something. Uh, and I would definitely want to read the rest of Vector to uh, find out what the uh, rest of the fate of uh, Celeste is. It definitely ratchets up. Rebellion's okay. It's another short two-issue arc, so we kind of get a little bit of a taste. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I think Rebellion was the weakest of the four that started um, overall, because I think it's more, there's been so much told in that original trilogy area during that time between the Marvel run and other series and books and, and everything else. Those characters, I think they've been a little oversaturated. So that book, actually, after Vector ended, that, that book stopped. That was the end of its, of its run, and it didn't, it was supposed to come back and didn't. And then it really ratchets up with Legacy. And like I said, if, if there's any Star Wars book that I can't talk about highly enough, it's Legacy. And we'll definitely get into that when, when we get to, to Volume 2 at some point. But I think, John, I think, I think after you, if you haven't read Legacy at all or haven't, um, haven't read the second half of Vector yet, I think, I think you'll appreciate Legacy a lot more because it's kind of more of that grungy, broken down Star Wars universe that you're used to seeing in the movies and um, the, the the main character, the Kate Skywalker character, has, is a little a questionable moral character at, at certain points in times and he's, the band he he's runs flawed, with is a to little, put it nicely. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So anyway, it's, it, it it definitely picks up. Yeah, I would agree that Rebellion is, is probably the weakest of the uh I will agree with you, Russ, Rebellion was definitely the weak is gonna be the weakest of the four, but it's um I, I will say that um, uh, kind of like Dark Times, Rebellion kind of went away and it stayed away. They decided that uh, they were getting too close to continuity-heavy territory. It's set you know, between New Hope and, and Empire Strikes Back, so they were pretty soon were going to be starting to step on that, and they just figured it's time to put Rebellion away. Uh, and that's going to bring us to next Wednesday when, when Star Wars Invasion s- steps off. They decided to jump ahead to uh, the new Jedi Ori era, so... Uh, it's not gonna. It's gonna have the the like Luke and the Jedi Order in in there. Uh, I'm expecting some like some Jason Solo and Jaina and things like that in there. Young Anakin Skywalker before, uh, or excuse me, Anakin Solo before um, you know his thing in uh, the New Jedi Order happens. But we're gonna see uh, if anyone who's read the New Jedi Order and and you're gonna see a lot of Yuuzhan Vong, a lot of the uh, this alien race. Extra, extra galactic race, really, um, and, uh, illustrated for really the first time. I mean, there's been a couple images in uh, in Legacy here and there, but and of course the artwork in the books and the covers, but never like this. So I'm looking forward to picking that up. And Rose, I think you and I were talking about uh, doing an audio blog on that first issue when it hits. Yeah, definitely. I'm very. I haven't read all the um, New Jedi Order stuff, but I'm really looking forward to to them playing in, in that universe. I like the fact that they're gonna for the most part, kind of stick to the ancillary characters and try not to retread on the same ground that we've read in the books is, you know, kind of talk about what is what was going on in the galaxy um, away from the, the characters we followed. Yeah, and they said that, like, there's a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of places they can go um, and not step on that, uh, on that continuity. So it's, uh, I'm excited for it. And I believe it's a five-issue arc right now that started off. It might just be a five-issue arc and then it's done. I'm not, I'm not really sure what their plans are. Hopefully it gets... 
it can stay on and be an ongoing. Yeah, me too. Anybody else? No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, I guess uh, that's going to wrap up Star Wars Vector Volume 1. Uh, I want to thank everybody for uh, sticking out with us and enjoying this. If you want to tell us what your thoughts are on Star Wars, Expanded Universe, Vector, or whatever, um, you know how to do it. Give us a call on our voicemail line, 516-468-7912. Or, of course, drop us an email to comments at legionofdudes.com. Market calendars, again, for August 2nd. Uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. We're going to do our live oh. episode 50 recording, so you can be a part of it. To, to just you know, call in, call our voicemail line, or call ahead of time, or send us a video message. Uh, check us out over on Facebook and leave us a video message there, and we'll play it back on during the show. On behalf of uh, Legion of Dudes and of course our brother podcast, Half Hour Wasted, I just want to thank you for joining us here on this feed. Jim, Russ, John, good night. Take care. Take care. May the force be with you. 